0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So here we are at a, a very interesting time in the retreat. It's a, it has a lot of different feelings that often come up for people. As the um, as the end is in sight, and you might have noticed today all the different things that uh, that came up when you heard you know, the last full day of practice in mind. Sometimes people are are saying through a lot of the retreat, you know, when's it going to be over? When's it going to be over? And then a day or so before the end oh my goodness, it's almost over. When's the next one? And it's a a kind of bittersweet feel at times as the retreat draws to a close because it's a very beautiful and protective and supportive environment for us all to practice together and go in the silence to, to see what's true and to to feel our hearts connecting to the Dharma. And so I want to talk tonight about some things that seem appropriate to this point in the retreat both um, with respect to formal practice and also with respect to uh, entering into the world. As one teacher says, half the retreat is the return it's one thing to get somewhat calm or focused and, and present, but then what as you get on the ride to the airport or get in your car to, to drive home? Now what? And what does this all mean, all this work that I, that I put in? What's the, the point of it? And how much will I carry forward? <clears throat> As we have practiced here and developed the instructions, they were again and again pointing back to our being right here in this moment with our experience, cultivating a direct recognition and perception of what's happening. Sometimes this is called bare attention, where we see things as they actually are, and we find out what it means to be truly in the present. It takes a little while to even find the present. And then when we're here, oh my goodness, here's this whole world happening that's been here all along. And it feels so good to actually sit and feel yourself breathing, feel yourself alive. Or to lift your foot and actually know that you're placing it on the earth and also with that presence to be able to meet the moment with a kindness, without a struggle, and just seeing one moment after another how we can be awake in our lives. And this is wonderful. But as you probably remember, uh, life isn't like that out in our busy daily lives where you can go slowly and feel your foot down on the ground or feel your breath as you're going about the busyness of your work so how does this carry over? I wanted tonight to to talk about another component of mindfulness which is um, works in conjunction with the bare attention that gives a broader picture and scope of what the practice does in our lives and and how we can utilize it in a rich way. And that is the um, the qualities of clear comprehension. Clear comprehension is Well, it covers a few different aspects of practice. There are four four aspects of clear comprehension. But the idea behind all these four aspects is rather than simply noticing in a minute detail what's happening in this moment, to get a context through which we can apply this mindfulness, what it can reveal to us. and the four qualities or aspects that I'll speak about include clear comprehension of purpose, clear comprehension of suitability, clear comprehension in the domain of meditation, and clear comprehension of reality. <clears throat> Clear comprehension of purpose. In order to do this practice, there has to be some intention, something that brought you here, something that made you want to sign up on this retreat. What was it? Ask this at the beginning of the retreat. What was it that drew you to do this? Maybe it was curiosity, maybe it was. Um, a wanting to discover truth. Maybe it was inspiration. For this particular retreat, which is one of the, the most wonderful parts about teaching this retreat, it's an old student's retreat. And so everybody here has been touched by the Dharma. And when you've had that experience of being touched, of seeing the possibilities that this practice and the Dharma have to offer, there's a kind of emotional connection to the practice. And the idea of clear comprehension of purpose is having having that emotional connection, having that sense of vision, of intention as the the fuel that can bring us back again and again to practicing the Dharma. What is at the heart of your spiritual life? This is the question. There's no wrong answer for it, so you don't have to worry about failing or passing and for each person it might be a slightly different facet of the Dharma for some it might be the end of suffering for others it might be awakening to the deepest truth possible for some it might be feeling the purity of heart that perhaps you've touched for some it might be growing in the highest wisdom. Whatever it is, there's something deep inside of you that has heard a call. And the more you have access to that hearing of the call, the more the practice becomes alive and not just another thing, another project of self-improvement. Gandhi, on his tombstone, he says think of the poorest person you've ever seen and ask if your next act will be of any use to him. That was an overall inspirational vision that guided his life and it's very beautiful to think of approaching each moment with that purpose and that intention, I went to, um, to see Mother Mira last year, this woman who probably most of you have heard of and uh, perhaps some of you have seen she lives in Germany, and I was going to be I was traveling through Europe on my way to Asia and um, decided I'd see her because I'd had some friends who'd seen her and thought that it was worth the, uh, the stop. And so um, I went to to the place uh, near Frankfurt and the way it works there is that you get to to see her and go one by one in front of, of this high being and you have about 45 seconds to be in direct contact with her. <clears throat> I timed it you know, while the other people were going up. You know, so <laughs> I didn't want to miss out on my time, you know, and make sure that... Or maybe I was special and got 50 or whatever. But there it was, one by one, and each person goes up and puts their head in her lap and she touches your head and is doing something there. And then, let's go, and you look at each other, and there she is, beaming some energy, really powerful energy, with as pure a heart as you can imagine. And the, uh, the thing that I've been told is that being around her, this is a being who can grant you what your heart really desires. So, I figured... Okay, I've come all this way, I have 45 seconds, let's get really clear on what I want. <laughs> I wasn't one of the first to go, I waited a while. Uh, one by one you go up and then there's, there's a, a chair for the next person, kind of like a, in baseball parlance, the on-deck circle, you know, you go up. <laughs> And then you leave, and then the next one goes up, and everybody has a chance to go. So I thought, as I was waiting, and I waited for a good hour or so, what is it that I want? What is it that I, if I could be granted anything, what really counts for me? And all the, the little ones kind of fell by the wayside this situation this experience they fell away very very quickly and when I reflected by the time I got up in front of her that was the teaching for me to just get in touch with what my purpose was in life now I just would ask you to do this exercise with me. Just close your eyes for a moment and suppose you could be in front of a great being like that. Or some spirit guide or deva who said, tell me what you really want. If you tell me, I can give it to you. But you have to tell me. You have to feel it in your heart and then it can be granted. Just think what comes to mind, what really matters to you. amazing, all it takes is just one moment of really feeling it. Just a moment. And there your heart is, deeply touched, and you can't forget that moment. If you keep it as a practice of what your purpose is in life, it will be here every time you ask for it. Sometimes reflecting on the fact that we only have a short time on this earth brings about again that sense of purpose. I was talking with somebody today who was, was with someone in very serious condition at a hospital recently and seeing the fact that this person might not be here for very long and the The urgency, the sense of what it really counts, what really matters in our life, became more apparent to him. At the end of your life, as you're at your last breaths, what would you like to look back on and see, Ah, yes, I really did what I needed to do. What would count for you? sometimes just feeling how deeply we've been touched by the practice calls about that sense of purpose. There's a line that I've that I read on the first retreat from Shanti Deva that inspires me very much. He says, as a blind man feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing how we've been blessed by hearing this call. How did that happen? What amazing grace. And if we think of the practice as somehow developing that call, feeling that aspiration, what's in the Eightfold Path called Right Aspiration, feeling that vision, then everything else we do is in the context of that higher purpose. It gives us a goal. It brings a commitment. It takes us out of the sense of self when we see that we are developing into something beyond what we are now. And if that sense of purpose, that clear comprehension of purpose is strong, then when we blow it, when we forget, those temporary lapses can be seen in that higher vision. But if the purpose isn't there, if we kind of go along just doing the Dharma practice because it's a nice scene or you forget kind of why it is that you've been so touched, then you can lose the real richness, the real joy of practice. So this is the first clear comprehension. And when you have it on the retreat, it can inform your days as well as you are about to go for a cup of tea, think, wait a second, what is my purpose here? Okay. Is this going to serve me? Sometimes it might, if that's what's needed. But sometimes it might not. It gets you in touch with what your intentions are. And as you bring that at home, you might find it a very helpful thing to reflect on daily. Since that visit to, to Mother Mira, when I sit each day, I just take a few moments to remember why it is, what my heart really sparkles on reflecting on. Oh yes, this really counts. So as you break silence tomorrow, keep that in mind. This is not, you know, just the end of the retreat because silence is broken. No, the whole transition coming out is a very rich time for us to come back again and again to find what it is that's important to us. And when we find ourselves lost in confusion, coming back again and again, oh yes, I want to wake up. (coughs) The second of these clear comprehensions is that of suitability. And what that means is having a skillful choice of how to use the circumstances that we find ourselves in to the best of our ability to fulfill that purpose or continue to be aligned with it. So it's understanding what the present circumstances are and working in the best way we can uh, given the circumstances. Okay? For instance, as you're on the retreat, different situations will call for different ways to practice. If you are um, at the threshold of a door and there are a hundred people behind you, this is probably not the time Go microscopically slow, lifting, moving. It just, it's your, you're forgetting your context. The same way with being on the food line. You you might start to feel the vibes as you are, (laughs) you know, delighting in the magic of a piece of lettuce, and there's 80 people behind you. Or if you're finding yourself going through a lot of release, a lot of emotion and, and you have a feeling that you're sitting on a, a big eruption, maybe it wouldn't be the right place to do it in the hall if you feel that what needs to happen is a, is a real release. Maybe the right thing to do is to go out in the desert and just let your heart express itself, whether it's a lot of tears or release of sound, whatever it is. It's just having a sensitivity to the community around us. At home, that clear comprehension of suitability is very important as well. How can we use the situations we find find ourselves in to align ourselves with that purpose. For instance, if you find yourself in traffic, how to best make use of that time? Would it be cursing all the guys in front of you? Maybe not. Is there another way to to approach it? Maybe that's a time that you might want to do some loving-kindness meditation. Maybe it's a time you want to you know, hear a Dharma talk. I've probably heard more Dharma talks. I know I've heard many more Dharma talks in my car, in traffic, than on retreats. And I've done quite a few retreats. <clears throat> you know. When the telephone rings, if you're finding yourself answering you know, call after call after call a day, each day, how do you respond? Oh, darn, there's another telephone call. It might be that just with a little change of attitude, it can be, as Thich Nhat Hanh beautifully has said, and I've taken this practice, it's really made a difference, um, it can be a bell of awakening as the phone rings. Ah, okay. And maybe not going for it on the first ring, but taking a couple of rings and just getting back in touch with myself. Uh, yeah. Just simple things like that. You have to know when to act and when not to act. There's a, a story that uh, from the time of the Buddha where his cousin and, uh, and jealous um, rival uh, wanted to disgrace the Buddha. And uh, so he, he devised this scheme where as the Buddha was going on alms rounds, he had uh, he commissioned a mad elef- elephant to, um, to be appearing down this narrow street and charge at the Buddha, figuring if the Buddha got out of the way, then it would show him up and show that he was maybe afraid. And if he didn't get out of the way, then he'd be trampled. So, pretty smart. <clears throat> What the, what the Buddha did, as the mad elephant charged, is that he sent out such powerful thoughts of loving-kindness that, before the elephant reached him, he kneeled down and bowed, bowed to the Buddha. Now, if you're the Buddha and have that kind of loving-kindness, <laughs> great. However, if you're not, it might be the prudent thing to get out of the way. There's a a story of somebody who was doing a self retreat who was um, out in the country and just doing the mental noting and started to smell some smoke and noted smelling, smelling, (laughs) smoking, 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 and after quite a few notes, realized that his cabin was on fire. Yeah. There's a time to let go of the meditation and take action. Same way with our jobs, with what we, what we find ourselves doing. At times, you need to just um, let go of the meditation object and just be here in a natural way or if there's too much going on, then um, it's time to somehow get some space in your life so that you can come back and be present. As you leave the retreat, or just starting with working with speech tomorrow, you'll probably find yourself having a lot of stimulation because you're very, very sensitive and open. And it would be very helpful that in the next few days, even after you leave the retreat, as you are taking in all the stimuli after being quiet for 10 or or 20 days, that you monitor yourself and see, ah, uh, I'm getting a bit overloaded. Time to just cool out a bit, whether it's sitting. Maybe sitting won't be the way to do it. Maybe it'll be just relaxing, putting on some soft music. Maybe it'll be soaking in a hot bathtub. Maybe that's what's needed. And so to find what it is will bring you some balance in difficult situations. But to get a sense of where you are, as Ramdas says, knowing your zip code is very important as you're feeling yourself going down the street. This is clear comprehension of suitability. The third one clear comprehension, in the domain of meditation. And what that means, again, in our daily life, how can this activity be done in a meditative way, or in a way that deepens my wisdom? It's related to the suitability. The suitability is getting a sense of what will be the most skillful means to Um, to deal with the situation. And then clear comprehension, the domain of meditation is not just bringing your practice into this moment, but seeing your life as practice. Again, that comes back to the, the comprehension of purpose, to see that everything you do is part of practice in some way or another. Now it's not always possible to to be mentally noting and in fact it's it's rare that 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 works for people in their busy life. But how can you approach this situation in a way that will help you wake up? Sometimes it's um, It's humbling to see the ways that that we can sabotage our practice or get into habits that don't support our awakening. What will best help support my growth? Something that really makes a difference, that is a koan for all of us, is bringing simplicity into our life. It's so hard. There's so many um, entrapments in getting engaged and getting spun out in activity. I just came across this uh, the other day that the Chinese uh, characters for busy, two characters, heart-killing, isn't that amazing? This is Thomas Merton, he says, there is a pervasive form of contemporary violence, and that is activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form of its innate violence to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything, is to succumb to violence. And this is a Peace Pilgrim, a similar thought. She says, if your life is in harmony, with your part in the life pattern. And if you are obedient to the laws which govern this universe, then your life is full and good, but not overcrowded. If it is overcrowded, you are doing more than is right for you to do, more than is your job to do in the total scheme of things. That's a really hard one to, to practice. And it's interesting how we know the consequences of going on overdrive day after day after day, but somehow the priorities get turned around, and I know this very well for myself. It makes such a difference to give yourself the gift of some space. And that allows us to come back to ourselves. That is a practice in itself, coming back to ourselves, doing what we can to create that sense of our life as practice. Our communication is another area that we can bring to uh, the examination of how we can do it with a a spirit of Dharma. It's another place that we lose it so many times. We get caught in our judging, we get caught in our uh, just um, non-thinking chatter, and it creates a a lot of disturbance at times in our hearts. To say what's truthful, to say what's useful, to get a sense of why it is we're saying what we say. And this is a very key component as far as the domain of meditation, to get in touch with what our intentions are behind our actions. Something I came across on speech. Where is it? The Lord's Prayer contains 56 words, the 23rd Psalm, 118 words, and the entire Gettysburg Address, only 226 words. While the United States Department of Agriculture Directive on Pricing Cabbage (laughs) contains 15,629 words. you don 't have to use a whole lot of words all you have to do is stay connected to your heart and see what you really want to say you know, that doesn't mean that you're going to be profound every moment you know Lord knows I love talking about you know the sports section and whatever it is that's that's happening uh, on the, the sporting green we're just hanging out and you know shooting the breeze, but if you're just filling up the space out of some mm, fear of the silence or um, awkwardness. or It might be so much more restful to just hang out in the silence and feel what's going on for you. Know why you're saying what you're saying. It's a tremendous relief. And other ways that we can make our life the domain of meditation going through all the ups and downs in our life, going through the dark spaces, as you've seen here, any kind of sweet moment leaves. And sooner or later, there's going to be some challenging times to deal with. That's not wrong. That's part of life. And if you can have a sense of going through the dark spaces as the next opening in your practice, Ah, here's fear again. Oh, here's confusion. Ah, this is a chance to bring some more compassion. And what you've touched here in the practice really allows that to happen more and more. Even if you've you felt that you touched it for a while and then you dropped down and got lost again, every time you've touched it with some kind awareness, the possibility that you'll meet it with that in your daily life increases it doesn't mean that you've blown it when you've gotten lost again. (coughs) Not at all. It just means it's another chance to open up with compassion, to fear, to confusion, to life. One of the main um, helpful attitudes in bringing the practice or making your life practice and bringing your formal Dharma practice into your daily life is that of patience because we can have such a a yearning to wake up faster than than we are and it can be discouraging when we see where we are and where we'd like to be as painful to just allow ourselves to be with things as they are. Yeah. This is a tremendous gift. As, um, as it says in Siddhartha, Siddhartha's three uh, abilities, he says, I can think, I can wait, I can fast. Just to have that ability not to jump in or fix, but just to see, just to sense what the wise reflection Is that's called for. This is from uh, Ajahn Sumedho on patience. He says, Now in a monastery the development of patience is a part of our way of life. In Thailand, in the forest monasteries of the Northeast, you have a chance to become very patient. Because, there's li- because there, life is much less efficient and you have to endure. You have to endure through all kinds of unpleasant physical experiences, such as malarial fevers and the hot season. The hot season in the Northeast is one of the dreariest things I've ever experienced in my life. You wake up in the morning and you think, not another day. <laughs> Everything seems so dreary, you think another hot day, an endless day of heat and mosquitoes and sweat, a seemingly endless day and one day after another. And then you remind yourself, what a wonderful opportunity for developing patience. You hear about modern American ways to enlightenment where you can get involved in the most interesting kinds of personal relationships and scientific machinery, doing absolutely fascinating things to each other and get enlightened. And here you are sitting in the hot season, a hot, dreary day, endless, in which one hour seems like an eternity. You think, what am I doing here? I could be in California having a fascinating life, doing fascinating things, getting enlightened quicker and more efficiently. (laughs) California is much more advanced and with it than the northeast of Thailand. (laughs) And then you receive letters from impatient Americans who've gone all around the world, visiting all the Ajans. And you think, what am I doing here, sweating through my robes, being bitten by mosquitoes? and then you think, I'm developing patience. If I just learn to be patient in this lifetime, I've not wasted it. Just to be a little more patient it's good enough. I won't go to California, get caught up in those fascinating encounter groups, modern therapies and scientific experiments. I'll sit here and learn to be patient Learn to be patient with an endless, dreary, hot season that seems to go on forever. Learn to be patient with a mosquito biting my arm." Now, fortunately or unfortunately, we're here in California. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got our work cut out for us. can we settle back and receive this day just as it is instead of being ahead of ourselves, instead of being frustrated because it's not happening as quickly as we'd like. So in this domain of meditation making our life our practice, we can see what is it that's happening now? How can I meet this moment with some wisdom and with some kindness? What's my relationship to this moment? What's happening is always going to be changing. But can I practice an okayness, an openness with things just as they are? So clear comprehension of purpose, of suitability, of meditation. And then the last one, clear comprehension of reality. And what that means, is seeing clearly the true nature of things. And what do we see? What have you seen these last 10 or 20 days? You've seen, I'm sure, every one of you that things change. Have you noticed that? Have you not noticed it? (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Things do change. And seeing it more clearly in this particularly structured environment where we're not on that rapid conveyor belt that doesn't let us see what's really going on, where we're here and we see moment after moment our thoughts and our feelings and our sensations and our whole being is continually changing, and experience and situations all coming and going, that there's no one who can fix reality That there's no way we can hold on to any experience. And that in the holding on, as you've probably tried a few times during these days, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of frustration. In that holding on, we forget and get confused. That's painful. That's another quality of reality. You can't hold on to anything. And so you see the possibility, ah, maybe if I don't hold on, maybe if I am just allowing more for the change to be the way it is, there's some possibility of of peace. And seeing how you are continually changing in your experience, seeing that there's no stable, fixed place that you can point to within yourself. You see that you are this process of life that's happening through you, where you see that you're not running the show, you're not controlling the show, it's happening through you. And the more that you see it here on the retreat, even if it's just glimpses, that starts to point you in that seeing, that clarity of seeing, in your daily life. You see, ah yeah, thought I had control again. Well, okay. There's that subtle, at times, congealing in a sense of self. On retreat, this last retreat um, that I was sitting at, Barry, I had this experience where um, I was, <clears throat> as part of my meditation uh, instruction, was, was asked to notice any way that I was creating a sense of self an experience. So I thought, oh, that's really neat. I was getting really down there into subtle spaces, uh, it felt like. And I had this one this one uh, time I was doing walking meditation. It was downstairs in the um, actually there's a bowling lane at i m s and it's my favorite walking space, and there I was walking on the the bowling lane and um, there's there was one particular yogi at at the retreat who was kind of like a bull in a china shop yogi. It just kind of didn't really. Have a sense of his context, right? <laughs> and um, and some some of the people were doing uh, very technical mental noting and uh, in the Upandita style and and sometimes writing down their their meditations after um, so that they could report their clearest sitting, their next clearest sitting. And sometimes in, in that style, you write down a few words after after a sitting. Well, he had this big book, this huge book, and he would just be writing down reams, you know. I was thinking, my, he really must have some meditations. <laughs> or maybe he just likes to talk about his meditations a lot. And there he was, and I was just doing this very you know, mindful walking, just noticing if there's any sense of self as I'm walking. And he comes through, kind of barreling through, with his book in his hand, you know, making a lot of noise. And I looked at him and I had this thought come to mind, well, I certainly have a lot less sense of self than he does. <laughs> <laughs> very humbling. You know. It it didn't take me too long to kind of see the absurdity in it, but there it was, that thought just coming through. How many different ways we create that sense of me, mine, where we want to be recognized or where we're afraid to be seen. And it's painful. It's so painful. And it's not really accurate. That's not what reality is. So, this clear comprehension is understanding who we are in the context of life around us. We're not separate. We are life just experiencing itself through these many forms. And with the clear comprehension, we see we're not practicing alone. We're not practicing in a vacuum, both here on the retreat and as we live our life in the world that this understanding of the context connects us to everyone and we can have a spirit of practicing not only for ourselves but for all beings because we're not any different from all the other other beings. So with this bare attention and clear comprehension working together it becomes more than just a recognition of the present moment. It gives a meaning to our practice and for our spiritual life. And with that direction and perspective that we're growing towards something much bigger than who we think we are, we're opening not only to this moment, but to real wisdom, to real compassion, to real awakening. You'll get a lot of chance to, uh, to put this into practice in the next day or two, and I really um, encourage you to view these this next part of the retreat as a time to explore that next domain of coming out of the insular and self-contained aspect of practice to join with Sangha and to, <clears throat> to see what comes up for you as you enter into the world. It's all a very rich area to explore. So let's sit for a few moments. This talk was given by James Barras at Insight Meditation Society on December 1, 1989. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Audio. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.